0: Hello. You are listening to Proverbs with Daisy Maskell. It is me, Daisy. Welcome. This is a podcast all about extraordinary people and extraordinary stories. Here we will shine the spotlight on their journeys and hopefully learn something about ourselves and the way that we live our lives from their experiences too. Join me for the next half an hour as we get to know our guest. This episode is all about survival, resilience and intuition. I think we're going to learn a lot from this guest's past. Tabby Chapman was once a part of the Nexium cult and is here to share her survivor story, give us insight into what life was like growing up and also speak about her pathway out. We are back with another episode of the Proverbs podcast. With me, Daisy. Joining me today is Tabby Chapman. Now, she was once indoctrinated in the Nexium cult, and is here today to tell her survivor story and also talk about the work that she is now doing to support and educate others. Hi, Tabby. How are you doing?
1: Hi. Thank you. I'm. I'm so honoured to be invited to your show. It's like I'm. I'm speechless.
0: <laughs> no, we are honoured. We're so honoured to have you. I think this is going to be a great episode. You're a really, really incredible inspiring person as well. So we're so excited to hear your story and your journey. Um, I know you're doing some incredible stuff as well as of recently. I'm sure there's been a lot. I know it's been a really long and a really difficult road, which is why I think it's so amazing that you're doing so well. And as I said, you're, you're really giving back and You're you're teaching a lot through your own difficult experience, which I think it takes a certain type of person to do that. Um, So I must start off by praising you um, for doing that. I think I think that's amazing. I wondered if you could start off by briefly explaining what the Nexium Cult was for anyone that hasn't seen any of the documentaries or haven't heard of it before.
1: Um, Absolutely, Uh, the Nexium Cult was initially a I guess it was advertised to us as a personal growth or goal setting organization. So many of us went in there thinking, all right, you know, I could use some personal growth. I, I got some goals, you know, <laughs> and, and for many of us, there was like, there was always some kind of barrier that would get in the way of us completing our goals. And to be fair, this is how in the, those, in, in these like introductory meetings, this is how it was framed. You know, most of us probably weren't really focused on our barriers as much, but in that intro, it was there's some barriers. You know, and, oh yeah, I guess there are some barriers. <laughs> so, um, so most of us joined to be able to reach goals or you know grow beyond certain parts of our you know personalities we didn't like or whatever. Uh, it started usually with some kind of an intensive or um, like between five and sixteen day long intensive. It was literally intensive um, from usually from 9am to 11, 12 at night. Um, and then if they were able to hook you in, then, you know, they booked you in for their like weekly program and, and got you you know close to a, one of their centers. And then you just kind of got more brought into more and more trainings and more and more, um, money spending, if you
0: will. I think what a lot of people don't realise, I feel, about cults um, is how, I guess, easy it is to fall into them. I think from, you know, from the documentaries that I've seen on Nexium and on other cults as well, it seems like their goal at first to draw members in is to prey on vulnerability or insecurity and make you feel as though... They're there to help you, and they're there to better your life. Which it seems like that was your experience with Nexium too.
1: Yeah, my experience with Nexium started with um, Allison, uh, Allison Mack, who's incarcerated right now. Um, she was someone that I was doing a fan site for. I was fresh out of college, and and um, one of my college projects was to like run a community site, and I happened to pick her, and so or pick, I guess, her fan base to run that site with. And eventually, Allison reached out to me to do more of a you know, professional collaboration with her actual website. So yeah, I, I was brought in by Allison. My first in-person meeting with her, um, I basically, she, you know, she was like, hey, I would love to have you work with me. Um, I, I am asking everyone who's working for me if, uh, for them to go through this intensive training and so it was brought up right away it was you know if you want to work with me you must, you must take the trainings otherwise you're not going to work for me and so that was sort of what what kind of initially edged me in you know because I really did want to work with her why not <laughs> um, and I trusted her experience of the program I trusted what she was telling me about how it affected her and she did even, you know, mention that like some people are calling it a cult. So if you Google the internet, you know, the, whatever, you'll see these articles. So, um, but I will let you know that I haven't experienced anything weird. And, and that really stuck with me in terms of like her experience. And I did feel like that was a, a good like testimony, if you will. So that is, that's kind of yeah. my journey. And how I got sucked into that. <laughs> yeah.
0: And what did this training entail?
1: Oh, it goes all over the gambit. The very first five days is a reconstruction of vocabulary and lexicon, essentially. So um, they kind of state that and and also kind of they start to tear you down in in the first five days. Um, The reconstruction of the vocabulary includes redefining words like good and bad uh, or uh, trust, redefining trust, redefining judgment. There's a whole bunch of different phrases that get redefined for each module. Um, and they claim that they teach you, um, they don't teach you what to think, they teach you how to think. But you know, when you sit back and you observe the process by the very nature of how it goes, they require that ultimately you fall in line with their definition of these words. Um, So they are teaching you, you know, what to think in that respect. But like, for instance, they they said it's important to define words like good and bad outside of religious experiences. Because religion is kind of the problem as to why um, we have so much fighting, right? So they define the word good um, as building value in the world and creating and bad as destroying value in the world. And so that they kind of all made sure we were on the same page with those definitions
0: what were its methods of control and manipulation that you either saw or you experienced tabby
1: well initially right right away in that first five day intensive for instance um the the level of exhaustion we all have um the level of like the lack of nu- like proper nutrition i suppose um they made you go a, a very long time in between meals um just that sort of physiological control that they would have. No one could really, no one felt like they could leave in the intensive to like take a walk or anything. Um, And they started to, after the first few days, they started to point out if you were distracted by your hunger or your your tiredness and, and say, you know, at that point they'd already introduced us to this concept of exploration of meaning which is a sort of a psychological process, but they would say, you know, maybe you should consider getting an EM over, you know, feeling tired right now. They're, they're kind of, I guess, catch all for that was if you're feeling tired right now, it's probably because you have an issue uh, in yourself and it's not because you're really tired. So they just really kind of pushed on that physiological control in order to like maintain our attention.
0: Mm -hmm. And then in terms of the mental control and manipulation, were there things that they would say or do that would make you feel as though you couldn't leave or you can speak to other people from the outside world about this?
1: Absolutely. Well, the very first thing that they do, again, it's coming just from this, like the whole program is meant to be controlling, but it's so evident in this first five days, right? The very first thing they do is make you sign a non-disclosure agreement and they they really press that you you know if you talk to your friends about it you're not allowed to reveal any of the content and this is because this is what they say. And this is because this is a very experiential program. And it's important that you will ruin their experience if you deductively tell them about the program, as opposed to having them inductively understand the program. So that's what they told us. And of course, most of the things that they told us made a little bit of sense, even if some parts of it didn't make sense, you know, we were like, well, okay, I guess that makes sense. But it really felt often like, like, at least for me, it felt often like I was gagged you know like I really wanted to share some of the things that I was excited about and I you know it, it felt worse that I couldn't share in fact we inside the cult sometimes we use the phrase inside world versus outside world and that was even part of some of the training and I remember I was kind of at a recruitment coffee date with not a date but a, a coffee event with my Uh, I think it was my wife at the time. I think we were married then, Um, or at very least we were partnered at the time. Um, And another person, and one of us, my my partner or I, had made made the mistake of saying like, "Oh, this happens in the outside world," and us having no real like understanding that that phrase is weird for for people on the outside world. Um, it made the person run instantly. I mean, she just gathered all of her stuff and left. <laughs> wow. So yeah, but as you go further and further into the program and especially if you become a coach, like I had the manipulative tactics get way more psychological, way more, um, way more in, intense. So there's, there's sometimes there's sessions where you're sitting in the middle of the circle and, 10 other people are surrounding you, just throwing negative feedback in your way. Um, just talking about what a terrible person they think you are. Um, that's, I mean, that's really directly harmful, you know? Other times there were things um, where they would withhold pay, like if you were working for them, they would withhold your pay and until you inductively figured out why, which was really maddening at times because I was already not getting paid market rate um, because they were, you know, making me pay back some of my intensives through exchange, so uh, so sometimes they would just really, oh, we're not going to approve this timesheet because it's not correct. But then they would refuse to say, you know, why isn't it correct? So just kind of these weird gaslighting things that kind of felt, you know, would make you crazy a little bit. You know, make you like, just tell me what you need me to do. <laughs> you know, the the like I said, the tactics kind of got worse and worse the further you got in. And some degrees, if there's, you know, let's say that you're even a higher ranking person, but if there's one thing that you feel really, really strong on, then that would would create an even stronger set of coercive tactics and manipulative tactics to kind of break you from that,
0: you know? Just feels like it's all a way of just trying to exert control and power and just strip people um, of their own freedom of choice, even, you know, stripping people of of money and, and earning a wage is is just, it's just shocking.
1: Yep, and it it happened all of the time. It, it happened to everybody. I don't know if there was even one single person who was receiving a paycheck from them that did not have this experience happening. So it happened all the time. What
0: things were members not allowed to do that were strictly off limits,
1: Tabby? Things that members were not allowed to do that was strictly off limits. That's a great question. So I was not in DOS, but you know, from what I've heard, there is a lot more limitations for DOS. Um, we, like I said, we were not allowed to talk about the program to anybody else. I don't know about anyone else, but I always felt like I would come back to them. So it, I always was left with that feeling that somehow they would find out that I did. I know that sounds a little paranoid, but that is the feeling that I, that I got often. Um, and so we weren't allowed to talk about the program. Um, we weren't allowed to eat meat in the center, um, in what we call the center, at least in Albany headquarters. I don't know about the other centers, but uh, we weren't allowed to have any kind of animal product, basically, in the centers. We were barely allowed. To go into the outside world. When I first arrived, um, no one was allowed. To, like it, it was kind of an. Um, I'm trying to explain this, but it was kind of an unwritten rule that no one was allowed to uh, procreate. Um, that you know, bringing children into this cruel world would create problems. Uh, there were only a handful of children in involved in the group, and then at some point there is an unwritten message that people should start procreating. And all of a sudden you just see an explosion of children being, you know, created and born. Um, People are allowed to, you know, go and get mates and all of a sudden you see everyone dating people. There was sort of unwritten in that sense, at least to me. Um, I don't know if there was like literal messages going on from Keith or from anyone higher about it otherwise, but I do know that, when I decided to have children, I was given a series of EMs and was told that I would destroy children and, you know, with the issues and stuff like that. So I do know that there is explicit effort in preventing people from doing those things if they didn't feel they needed it.
0: How many people would you say were in Nextum? and how long did they typically stay within the cult? So
1: I know that about eighteen thousand people in general went through the program. They had several levels of programs, and part of that was also done in Mexico. Uh, a lot of people were going through the programs in Mexico. Um, by the time I arrived, I think I number my my student ID number is like number seven thousand something. Within about a year of my arrival, we would already gotten to between ten and ten and twelve thousand members. So. It did kind of slow down after I had left when, when I got up to 18,000 people. But it, in order to have a center, you had to have at least 100 active members. Mm-hmm. Uh, so members who were coming to your, your programs or your events um, all the time on a regular basis. So that is how centers were established. So even though there was 18,000 people that went through it, well, many of them were just like, oh, okay, not for me, and then moved on. <laughs> you know, but some of them were more identified and as people who they wanted to bring into the fold. And then they were sort of groomed into the process. So for instance, I was groomed into it. I was promised um, that I could run an acapella group. And so I was told that I would be taken, you know, be allowed to move over to Albany and have my own little acapella group, which mm-hmm. I thought would be really fun and cool. And I loved singing, but that it didn't quite work out exactly like that, obviously. <laughs> but, and I was also promised a lot of work that was didn't didn't come through in the end, but at least not in the way that they promised it. I feel like you've
0: touched on this just a little bit through speaking about your own experience, Tabby. But what was Nexium's view of women and how were women treated as a whole?
1: In general, we were treated as the doers. We are the ones that like made all the all of the centers run. It wasn't so much at the time, not until you got involved with Jeunesse or with like apparently um, DOS at the end. But um, there wasn't really to the main delineation was with your rankings. So if you were you know a white sash, if you will, for those who don't know what the sashes are, there are sort of our levels in in the program that have to do with how many people you. Uh, enrolled versus how many courses you've taken or how you know how much you've quote grown Um, but the white sashes would not have any expectations the yellow sashes would start to be like housekeeping you know they would be required to come to the centers and keep things clean you know as it goes up and up and up you get more intense in the feedback and intense in the in the manipulation and control
0: continuing the conversation on proverbs after this short break I wanted to take a moment to talk about a new brand that I've been loving at the minute. And that brand is Ana Luisa Jewelry. Now, their pieces are all unique. They make you feel empowered and they serve as a perfect addition to any outfit, whether you're dressing up or down. They offer high quality at affordable prices and are carbon neutral from packaging to product, which we know is super important. Anyone that knows me knows that I love an accessory. I think jewelry is a great way to express yourself and to experiment with fashion as well and of course it is a great sentimental gift for a loved one too they are giving proverbs listeners 40 percent off when you buy another product on their website just go to shop.analuisa.com forward slash daisy or click the link in the description for a discount was there a particular event made you Think you know what this is? I want to get out of this. I want to leave. Was there a a particular instance that made you realize everything and, and made you think I want I want to get out of this?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, and this is one that that didn't make it in the cut of the SEDUCE documentary, and and I want I want this story to be heard because it's important. Um, but there was I was already being given really intense feedback, and things were starting to be taken away from me, so that kind of wasn't great. And I was like, well. I had to actually go get a quote real job <laughs> and and start so that I could actually pay any of my bills and my debts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked for a, a company while I was out there for a, I don't know, about a year. But towards the end of that time, working for my, this company, I was sitting in Saratoga Springs in a coffee shop. I think it's called Uncommon Grounds. Um, and I was doing my work for my clients. I'm a, I was a web developer, so. I had about 32 clients that were active. So, I was sitting down at the table with my list of clients so I could go through it with my um a person that was working for me and all of a sudden I looked up and one of the like Nexium enemy bloggers um his I don't know how to say his last name properly, but I say it as John Tai. He was standing about 10 feet away from me maybe and just staring at me for an extended period of time. He didn't do anything. He didn't say anything. But he stood there and he stared at me. It was very unnerving for me. I had told a few people about it, and I had um, a, a co- just a couple of people, my closer people, I was closer with about it. But I wasn't intending on, you know, making any actions on it. All of a sudden, I got a call from Claire Bronfman um, telling me that she had heard about the incident and asked if I could come down to her um, to her office or to some office. And when I did, there was a team of attorneys there and and Claire Bronkman, and they had asked, they had like told me the story they heard, which was kind of accurate. And they said that they really would appreciate it if I would file um, some kind of a report or a request to have him arrested for harassment. I was floored. I was like, I don't think what he did was to, I, I didn't think what happened was to that level. There was a lot of coercive control and persuasion in that meeting. Um, you know, you'll be doing, you'll be doing a really good thing for the whole entire organization if you do this and just a lot of what they call like double binds and insisting that I make this move, you know, mm-hmm. as I left that office, I-, I didn't feel I had a choice in that sense. Um, I felt like everything i had ever worked for in the organization would have been taken away from me. I went in, I filed the report. Um, I was so terrified. I became like almost sick with paranoia after that. Uh, they they told me that there was something wrong about the report. I needed to add something else, so that made it even worse. I had to go back to the lawyers and explain that what they said, and then the lawyers rewrote a second draft. But in between the rewriting of the second draft um, and turning it in, I couldn't handle it anymore. Every time I left my front door, I was paranoid that this this person really was going to come after me and hurt me. You know, even though like that person likely had no idea that I had done. You know that I had that I had done this, and, and so um so finally i I made the plan to leave, move totally out of state and get away and the day of um the day of my leaving, I turned in the the second draft, and i left um it, it just was the the pressure of it was too much for me now that okay. was when I left the area um there was lots of several more events that made me eventually leave the organization itself, but that's when I moved out of Albany.
0: And what happened when you left Tabby? How were you treated? Did you, did did people that were still in the cult make contact with you?
1: Were you aware of how you were being spoken of or the things that people were saying? So that's an interesting question because um, I, I, pre- I mostly lost all of my friends. Um, I stayed in contact with Alison Mac because I worked for her still I stayed in contact with Nikki Klein um, because uh, we just we had we were sort of closer acquaintances while I was there. And I just thought she was a cool person, you know. So I say I just kind of wrote her every now and then was like, hey, how's it going? You know, I stayed in contact with a few other people, but it was always me reaching out to them. It was unless they needed work done for, for websites. It was never, you know, them reaching out to me a few people would start to say that I was like betraying the organization and things like that. Um, But overall I tried to make it a very quiet exit where I didn't complain. I didn't, you know, eventually I made a resignation letter and I just didn't want to rock any boat boats whatsoever. But later I found out that it was being told to other people that I was what what they call a suppressive person, even though I had tried to make a clean exit that I was a, a, bad person and I couldn't, you know, I shouldn't be talked to. So I found that there was like a, an actual effort to prevent people from talking to me, which yeah. I just when I first found that out, I remember feeling like, what, why, <laughs> you know, like it was very strange, but then, you know, after all the trials and everything, I was like, Oh, you know, it's kind of a badge of honor to be listed amongst the other suppressives of people who actually took the organization down. Not that I had a hand in that but (laughs) i just felt like oh i get to be part of that hall of fame that's great
0: (laughs) how was integrating back into everyday life for you were there instances where you'd catch yourself you know doing things that you maybe weren't allowed to do inside nexium or thinking things or finding out that the things that they taught you about
1: the outside world were absolutely not true that is an excellent question and it was terrible for me um Mm -hmm. I I had been accustomed to sort of admitting my wrongdoings inside the organization and so if I was called into an office at work or whatever um, I would immediately admit any wrongdoings to kind of avoid further punishment but then I had a boss at the time who thought it was really funny and so they would like take those weaknesses that I had just admitted and then exploit them for fun mm-hmm. literal fun like he for instance I, I let him know that when you say please come to my office and you don't tell me why it's it really terrifying for me you know mm-hmm. and he would literally for fun say i need you to come down to my office and i i had that reaction every time even though i knew after a while that he thought it was funny and so it, like there was things like that where i i kind of i didn't really know how to gauge myself back into a social experience and like what was it okay to actually say to people versus not okay to say to people so i was often described as really weird and withdrawn and a person who's doesn't i was described as someone who doesn't like and next time they call them non-sequiturs but a person who like doesn't follow through a conversation you know mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. people would talk and then i would just randomly say something else you know and it, it just was very difficult for me um i i lost all of my friends my previous friends that i had before Nexium, i eventually lost um and, and i had a and i had a very difficult time making new friends and even mm-hmm. trusting people in a work environment that was very hard
0: yeah, I've spoken to cult survivors before and people that were uh, have, have now escaped sort of abusive movements and they speak a lot about their intuition and how their intuition is one of the first things that's sort of stripped out of them um, yes. when they join a movement or when they join a cult because, you know, by design, cults don't want you to question things. And I can't imagine how difficult it must be to, you know, integrate back into the outside world and to learn to trust people and to learn that people's intentions, as you said, especially in the workplace are true. So yeah, that, that must've been so difficult for you. And I don't think people appreciate that. It's almost like having to relearn things all over again, which must be a really, really scary, confusing, daunting process.
1: Yeah, well, the, the I have um, a kind of a gap in between, you know, leaving, deciding to quit and then realizing that it really was a cult, right? So there was, um, I decided to quit the whole thing around 2014 but it didn't come out that it was an actual cult until I think 2017 so it was a three-year gap in which I had decided I was trusting everybody right I was like okay everyone's great you know and uh, during that time period I had you know had um, gotten pregnant with my twin sons and my the job that I was at at the time was very the boss that I had had at the time we had hung out like I had taking care of that person's kids I had you know I had been I don't know uh, like we had bonded in a in a you know a way that was it seemed very trusting to me you know well uh, the next I guess performance evaluation after having my kids was all all of my marks were great like like outstanding or you know great you know but the person had decided to put like I don't know a whole novel of notes about every time that I, I failed that person's expectations, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it now it was in my record permanently. Like that person refused to remove anything, you know, and it was just a weird kind of random backstabbing thing that happened that kind of opened my eyes to wait, 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 hold on. Something's not right. Here. <laughs> you know? And so, um, that was also also around the time that the started to be around the time that um, things started coming around around NXIVM. and from that point forward my my job there was just in jeopardy throughout the remaining time that I was there.
0: What was it like for you to see sort of that legal process unfold and to see the fall of Nexium, knowing that you know that was something that you were once a part of was that a strange experience for you?
1: It was shocking. Like I literally felt like I had shell shock on yeah. most new developments. Um, when Keith was arrested, I remember feeling like, oh, I felt like a sense of relief. But then seeing Allison, who I, I would say I was close to, she probably wouldn't. But, but seeing Allison there and you know how she looked in those images, I just felt like shell shocked. I just couldn't believe it, you know. And then. That, and that was even after seeing uh, Sarah Edmondson, who I was friends with uh, on The Times, um, on the cover of Times, right? So everything was just shocking as it unfolded. And I was watching the news like everyone else was watching the news. And I'm like, what is happening? You know, it was very scary for me. Um, and and like I said I was left and right at this point losing friends I was I was told later at my work that people thought that I was trying to recruit them into a sex cult and I had already been out of that group for Mm -hmm. before that even began you know Um, but it was just like it was it was a really horrible time for me it was so bad in fact that I had to leave work I couldn't I couldn't stay at work, I had to go on medical leave.
0: It was was such a public story. It was shocking, you know, to see some of the revelations that came out on the news. It was shocking for the world to see, but I can't imagine what it must've been like for you to sort of watch as the events of the legal trial sort of unfolded and all of these revelations coming out, for you to see that knowing that, you know, you were once a part of that reality that must've been so difficult. How has your experiences helped you with the work that you do today because I know you're doing some incredible stuff
1: yeah well you know that that is the question I think that and that's what's the important part for me is um it it has fully shaped my my future career path um Mm. I was I was a web developer I was a Uh, software engineer that is what my degree is in computer science (laughs) Um, and so after that I had thought about like why did I join Nexium? like what was it really that I wanted at Nexium? there and I and my answer was I I wanted to feel loved and special by Allison you know I'm not gonna lie about that (laughs) but also I really wanted to help I wanted to like help people realize their potential and and become you know a, a a the person they wanted to become. And so, you know, I I thought like, what's the best way to do that? Like legitimately, you know, without going to a cult in that sense. So I actually went straight towards getting my master's degree in in, uh, psychology with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy and um, professional clinical counseling. So now I actually um, provide therapy for clients who have experienced coercive control or, you know, I provide therapy in general to people, but I, I try to specialize it in coercive control or in parenting, which is a, there is a link to coercive control because our modern parenting is designed in a very coercive way. So my goal is just to help people kind of lose that sense of that need to coerce people you know or that need to be coerced if you will but yeah and then on top of that as I was filming Seduce, by the way it was like filming Seduce was great um it was a wonderful experience that was designed to kind of break down that process of recruitment and, and indoctrination um and so it was kind of cool to like hear how all the women had that experience. We, we were, it's a scene that wasn't in the final cut, but we were with Yanya Lalich And I remember asking, why are those loyalists still there? And it kind of came out that like some of them may just not have the resources they need to leave, which was the case with me. You know? So I'm like, well, why don't we create an organization that can help people do that? <laughs> you know? And so, I mean, and I did like the very next day I started on that process. I created a a business plan. And I eventually registered the business. And, uh, and here I am working with the Freedom Train Project Incorporated. I've helped about, you know, 15 different people in the last couple months, get resources they need to be able to either leave or to heal from their cult trauma. And my goal is to, to work with 2000 people a year. um, And then, you know, grow that out as time goes on. So yeah, Freedom Train is kind of my baby. And so it's, it's something I'm so proud of, and it is directly born from that pain and that cult. I yeah. think it's so amazing that you've
0: used your pain and your trauma, which is, you know, it's such a difficult thing that you you've done, and it's so inspirational that you've used that for the greater greater good of other people, um, and your you know your teaching experiences through your taught experiences through through your learned experiences. Um, I think I think that's so important um I think as I said at the the start of this episode I feel like it really takes a certain type of person to do that but I also think that you know sometimes working through your pain and trauma and using it to help other people is almost a form of therapy for yourself in itself um which is really interesting what advice would you give to people to tabby that may be trying to escape a cult right now
1: the biggest advice as the executive director of of a victim services agency is um there is help out there you you have not lost everything you have not you are not alone you have not lost everything um it feels like it it feels like they've taken all your money all your friends it feels like they've taken your hope but with the you know getting the right reaching out to the right people the right agencies they're there to help you and 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 help you with transportation out help you you know building a new life help you with clothes if you need it with like anything they're there for you as much as they can be so you're not alone and you have it most everything just take Mm -hmm. that first step that's that's Mm -hmm. what I would say to people
0: and what are some signs of indoctrination that people should be aware of that people should look out for
1: um I would say certainly say um if like let's say I'm a person outside of a um, if I have a friend, for instance, who disappears for long periods of time and then when they come back, the only thing they wanna talk about is the person or group that they've disappeared off into. Um, and that's all that they can focus on. Um, I would say that's a pretty big red flag. If you question anything with them and they get like aggressive in their response back, or if they cut you off, that's the second big red flag. Um, that they're not allowed to actually question their indoctrination. Um, And then if you are being groomed for indoctrination, that one, I would just say, keep your ears open and listen to your friends. It's hard when you're being groomed to realize that you're being groomed. It really is because everyone wants to feel loved and accepted and a large part of the grooming process is that sort of love bombing process where people are making you feel loved and accepted. And and so it's hard to, I don't ever want to say like, oh, if anyone's making you feel loved and accepted, then it's probably a cult because that's not true, right? <laughs> but um, but if you have friends who are concerned or family members who are concerned, I would certainly say like, keep keep your ear out and be willing to question. And then if you start questioning, if there's any repercussions or punishments for questioning, then I would say that is a major red flag. That's
0: some really great advice and some really powerful advice as well, Tabby, and as you said, you know, the, there are always people and places that you're able to reach out to that will fully support you on your journey, whatever stage you're at um, on this journey as well, which is it's really important just to highlight once again. When we finalise every episode of the podcast with a life lesson, something that you live by or something that gets you up and going in the morning. So Tabby, I just want to finalise with this final question for you, which is, what is your mantra for life
1: i would i would say the thing that gets me up is the word love love is what drives everything for me um it's what drives my own introspection and what it's what drives working with people it's what drives you know having children it for me um it's important to to recognize that love is more powerful than anything it's very inspiring for me so I do all of this with love.
0: Tavi Chapman thank you so much for being here you're hugely inspirational keep up this incredible work that you're doing because it truly is making a difference it's been amazing to chat to you today.
1: Thank you so much, Daisy. Thank you for
0: letting me be here. And that concludes this episode of Proverbs with Daisy Maskell. That is me. I hope you enjoyed it. Hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And I will see you soon.